Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth and my other crew members today are Alyssa. Hi everybody. And Tim. Hi, hey, and hello. Today we are going to be talking about Terry Miles' book, Rabbits. Before we get into that, though, we just want to warn everyone about a couple of things. First, there will be spoilers. We go into this assuming that you've read the book, so we aren't going to tiptoe or stutter step around anything. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button and go read it and come back to us. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read the books, and we truly believe you'll get more out of the discussion if you've read the book. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths or anything but sometimes the subject matter will not be for youngling years. Tim. Uh, and this is one of those books where we really and truly could end up with some language warnings because I really want to talk about the chapter titles. Yes. But before we get into that, there's a quick sidetrack that I want to make. I can't remember if we did this last time or not, but we got... Uh, a listener who reached out to us. So I want to thank Wayne for reaching out to us and turning us on to Harry Potter and the Tools of Rationality, which seems uber weird, but kind of cool also. And uh, we had a surprise listener to our last episode, and they sent me a message. And uh, that was Carol Stivers. And Dr. Stivers said, hi, after having my debut novel, published into the void of a burgeoning pandemic it's rewarding to hear that people are still picking it up and enjoying it i listened to and enjoyed your podcast i do want to tell you that the book was acquired by berkeley in november of 2018 and all the edits had to be completed by october 2019 in time for the publication of the arcs thus there was no way i could have known about covid when i wrote the book the process took about eight years. You can imagine my horror when the pandemic delayed the book launch from May 2020 to August 2020. Indeed, we can. And even then, the conditions were on the ground were too much like my novel to be believed. Needless to say, my next novel will not involve a pandemic, but let's see what else I can predict. I'm sorry you needed a catheter. Why do you have my daughter's necklace? I actually laughed out loud at that line. So, Dr. Sivers, if you ever listen again, if Mother Code is made into a movie, if you have another book coming out, or if you ever just want to hang out and talk with us, we'd love to have you on. Absolutely. <laughs> I am going to tell you a little bit about Terry Miles. What I can say about Terry Miles is that Terry Miles wants you to know that he is a man of many hats. This is from his website, which is minnowbeatswhale.com. Um, he's a writer, director, producer, who was born among the wheat fields in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and raised in the plains beneath the foothills of the Rocky Mountains and forged by rain in the deep emerald gloom of the Pacific Northwest great description. He's a novelist, filmmaker, podcaster, and CEO, and founder of Minnow Beats Whale. As writer, director, producer, Terry has had three feature films premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, 
He's been nominated for 10 Leo Awards for producing, writing, directing, editing, and cinematography. He created his first few podcasts in 2006, but soon movies took over his interest. And about a decade later, he founded the Public Radio Alliance, which features the hit podcast Tannis and Rabbits. So an interesting thing about the book that we've chosen for this month is that it has a podcast that is set in the same universe, but is completely separate. He also had the last movie and he co-created the Black Tapes podcast, which, uh, and directed a Western starring Donald Sutherland and Christian Slater, an action movie starring Steve Austin and Danny Trejo and Sorinda Swan. I still think we need to get Danny Trejo in here because he's, he apparently says yes to everything. He's also written and directed numerous award-winning short films, web series, and alternate reality games. And I cannot wait, since you wrote that lovely synopsis last time, Alyssa, to hear your synopsis this time. Oh, well, Tim, I have to disappoint you a little bit. Um, I could not do better than the Goodreads synopsis. So that is where our synopsis is coming from today. Um, so here's what, here's what Goodreads has to say about rabbits. It's an average workday. You've been wrapped up in a task and you check the clock when you come up for air. 4.44 PM, you go to check your email and 44 unread messages have built up. With a shock, you realize it's April 4th, 4.4. And when you get in your car to drive home, your odometer reads 44444. Coincidence? Or have you just seen the edge of a rabbit hole? Rabbits is a mysterious alternate reality game so vast it uses our global reality as its canvas. Since the game first started in 1959, 10 iterations have appeared and nine winners have been declared. Their identities are unknown. So is their reward which is whispered to be NSA or CIA recruitment, vast wealth, immortality, or perhaps even the key to unlocking the secrets of the universe itself. But the deeper you get, the more deadly the game becomes. Players have died in the past and the body count is rising. Now the 11th round is about to begin. Enter Kay, a rabbit obsessive who has been trying to find a way into the game for years. The path opens when Kay is approached by billionaire Alan Scarpio, the alleged winner of the sixth iteration. Scarpio says that something has gone wrong with the game and that Kay needs to fix it before 11 starts or the whole world will pay the price. Five days later, Scarpio is declared missing. Two weeks after that, Kay blows the deadline and 11 begins. Suddenly, the fate of the entire universe is at stake. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Part of the reason I couldn't wait to see what you had written was because this is a really hard book to describe to people. It is. And despite it being really hard to describe, I actually really liked it. It took a while for me to get into it, but I really liked it. And central to the story that's being told is the concept of the alternate reality games. I feel like we should let people know what that is so that they can understand a, a little bit about the concept. From Wikipedia, an alternate reality game, or ARG, is an interactive network narrative that uses 
the real world as a platform and employs transmedia storytelling to deliver a story that may be altered by players' ideas or actions. The form is defined by intense player involvement with a story that takes place in real time and evolves according to players' responses. It's shaped by characters that are actively controlled by the game's designers, as opposed to being controlled by an AI, as in computer or console video game. Players interact directly with the characters in the game. They solve plot-based challenges and puzzles and collaborate as a community to analyze the story and coordinate real-life and online activities. ARGs generally use multimedia such as telephone and mail, but rely on the internet as a central binding medium. They tend to be free play with costs absorbed either through supporting products or through promotional relationships with existing products. So some of the popular ARGs that have been done before were I Love Bees and The Lost Experience. I Love Bees was to promote Halo 2 and The Lost Experience was to promote the TV show Lost. But there have been several others out there. Did either of you happen to look at either of the websites for The Lost Experience or I Love Bees? No. I looked at I looked at I Love Bees a, a little bit. That's it. I mean, it's got a lot of little audio files that kind of remind me of the Prescott Competition Manifesto. They're <laughs> little different little recordings, and uh, I didn't get deep into it, but just to kind of see what it was, it was pretty interesting. I understand, Mary Elizabeth, you listened to the first season of the podcast. I did, and I'm still confused about the book and the podcast. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of references to video games and 80s pop culture in general, and some of the pop culture I can get, and a lot of the gaming stuff I don't get because I didn't play a lot of video games when I was younger. My brothers had an Atari the only thing I can think of that I really played was was Mist with my little brother. Um, we worked really hard together to to solve it. And then my oldest brother came down from Houston to visit with us. Me and my little brother are probably like in middle school, maybe just touching into high school. And my older brother is obviously an adult living on his own. <laughs> he came and visit and he just killed it. He won the whole game in, in one weekend where I was so mad at him. <laughs> but uh, but he was like what I helped you we're like no that wasn't helping <laughs> I guess he just wanted to play with us I don't know <laughs> that's the that's the only tiptoeing into like you know besides watching my brother play games or playing Kirby Dreamland and then saying here beat the beat the boss so I can keep floating around and catching stuff <laughs> uh, yeah so I just was felt lost a lot of the times with a lot of the references and I was like, do I need to know this? And somewhere in there, I was like, no, I guess I don't really need to know this. <laughs> Just trying to find the story that I can ride along. <laughs> Got a little bumpy there. <laughs> I also was like disappointed that with all of the references to games being um, uh, an inside for the CIA to come in and uh, possibly recruit people from playing video games, they never mentioned the last starfighter who, where, where it was a game a movie about a uh, guy playing a game and they come in from outer space to recruit him to go fight 
I'm like, how did they not reference that? <laughs> uh, but it was an interesting read for me. It was a, it was a bumpy read for me. So like, oh, I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> so I think Ernest Klein stole all the last Starfighter juju for Armada. I see. It's almost, almost the same story. You do definitely get a lot more out of it if you are familiar with the with the pop culture references, and there are a lot of them in here. Spoiler alert, Kay wins the game. I'm not sure really how he did it. It seemed like he went back to his first entry into the game. He he almost pulled the Harry Potter eye open at the first thing, and here we go, Harry Potter again. Sorry. No, no more Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm cutting all this out. No, he he goes wrong with Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I talk about Harry Potter way too much. That's that's all. So he goes back to the beginning of his of his experiences with rabbits, and he's able to enter enter the stream there and choose the correct pathway to to win the game and then he he wakes up with alan scarpio making him french toast yeah and alan scarpio was a previous winner who tapped him to allegedly alleged maybe (laughs) although he does although he does kind of confirm it at the end there he's he says like i know i got money check your bank account Mm. Um, also from the podcast i felt like it was slightly confirmed that he was a a winner but but i don't know how much i can think upon the podcast to inform me on how the book goes it it does play a role in it also along with the arg a a big concept that uh, plays a part in this is the conspiracy theory and so they reference things like the mandela effect and the berenstain bears uh, effect in the podcast they mentioned specifically the paul is dead thing mm-hmm. have have either of you looked into that before i've heard of it yeah <laughs> i'm no, sorry I, <laughs> it's the I, same thing if you've heard of the avril lavigne is dead <laughs> it's the same thing where it's like she's a, a clo- uh, not a clone a, a stand-in for the real Av- avril lavigne and it's the same thing for for paul mccartney that he actually died and they got somebody to come in and be him <laughs> to keep the beatles going if you listen to the uh to the tapes because i listened to all the tapes i don't believe that i believe the paul mccartney we have now is the real paul mccartney and that he is he is a gem of a human being but if you listen to the tapes and all of the logic behind it it, it will have you halfway convinced that this is fake Paul that we have. Um, because starting with one of the albums, they don't list Paul in the credits, but they list instead the winner of a lookalike contest. Oh, weird. A Paul McCartney lookalike contest, right. And then, like, if you look at a lot of the album covers, you'll see, like, things like Paul is facing away or Paul's the only one who's barefoot, or, <laughs> yeah. And then they tie it into, like, the song lyrics, too, because uh, supposedly he died in a car crash, and and MI6 gets involved, and they didn't want, uh, 
they didn't want uh, the nation to know that Paul McCartney was dead because there would be a rash of teen suicides and things oh, no. like this. <laughs> conspiracy theories play play a part in this world too. Mm-hmm. It, it's a world very much built on on conspiracies and and following these obscure lines of thought to uh, to obtain the clues to the game. Right. And I have a hard time trying to understand the reasoning for the game. Like I just, I sort of understand it. And then I'm like, but wait, what? (laughs) That they have to play the game so that the radiants are aligned correctly. And that then the world doesn't end because of the fingerprint underneath the world. (laughs) It's like, wait, I don't get it. (laughs) Go go back and there's a lot of rereading of like wait i don't uh, you can't just say astrophysics is in there and that's why you don't understand it <laughs> i still need to understand it <laughs> i don't think there's understanding it I, I i mean they're just there's you know at the end it seems like the entire thing is just a game it's just rabbits but they say that there's discrepancies between like what k remembers about the game and what they experienced while they were playing. And then also some people experience breaks with reality. So the idea that it was this thing with the Meacham radiance, or was it this uh, multiverse thing, or is it, you know, um, something that needs to save the world? Is it totally in question for me? Is it even real? Is it all something that was constructed by Hawk Worker's Byzantine engine, Hawk Worker, who was the... um, the game designer that was involved with um, Sidney Farrow, who was the greatest architect of game engine dynamics ever to work in the industry, according to Kay, who designed this, um, this AI that would create a virtual reality that was realer than real. So who knows? They, there's enough rabbit trails in the book that it's hard to predict. Or it, I mean, I don't think there's any way for you to really know what actually happened. All we get, in my from my perspective, is whatever k thinks that they experienced that makes a damn good narrative quite frankly <laughs> i really enjoyed right, this book yeah. honestly five out of five like just it just twisted in all the right ways for me well that's that's good <laughs> i i'm just like i don't know if I, i'm smart enough for this book <laughs> and there, there are a lot of clues that kind of lead that way it's it's sort of like the um Oh, what's the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger where where he goes to Mars? Total Recall. Total Recall. Total recall. <laughs> okay, so yeah, there's a lot of Total Recallness yeah. to this, but but you're right. The Byzantine game engine. You have some clues that this might all be like a deep fake uh, right. experience by one person. Because you have this whole scene where Jeff Goldblum is not of this world. Or it's like, yeah, an alternate reality of Jeff Goldblum or like, <laughs> yeah, and I, and, and I don't know if that was one of the rabbit holes that can just lead you away from, I don't, nothing really came of that <laughs> other than the so, magician was questioning it too. <laughs> so one of the first things that they come across after, after Kay meets with Alan Scarpio and Alan Scarpio disappears. Kay somehow ends up with his cell phone. Like he he 
planted his cell phone at the diner where they met and Kay he came back it. and claimed it. And I love that this video file is embedded in a waveform of rhubarb growing, the sound of rhubarb growing. There's a video that shows an attempted assassination of Jeff Goldblum. I hope Jeff Goldblum doesn't feel threatened by this because he, <laughs> he also is a gem of a human being. He is a national treasure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you do plan to have dinosaurs on your dinosaur ride. <laughs> As they get in, they research the people involved because they can't find any information on news sites about any attacks on Jeff Goldblum because why would anybody attack Jeff Goldblum? Right. And as they get into it, you know, the the person who ends up getting injured is a real person. The person who orchestrated the attack is a real person. And they end up tracking down Jeff Goldblum's publicist who was who put herself in between the attacker and Jeff Goldblum and ended up with a big nasty scar. And then when they contact her that she kind of freaks out like why is everybody calling me and superimposing these stars on my on my arm and you know it gets hard to tell what's real because they have this very convincing video that they now think is maybe a deep fake and they have the person saying well that never happened and there are several things like that in there i do have to say really quickly for the first half of the book I was the a-hole in the journey shirt because I was like, how is Kay an expert at this? It seems like he he's asking everybody else like how to how to play rabbits and yeah. <laughs> rather than actually playing himself. Like how how is think, he able to give seminars on it? I didn't think Kay needed to be an expert. I thought Kay was a con. <laughs> making money off the game and right. using these little pieces of knowledge to support themselves with their uh was the other thing that they could do they had the ability to kind of predict the market based on their ability to make connections between disparate pieces of information and that was how they made their living right. i just thought they were a con <laughs> work in the system yeah, I guess that could that that is a way to kind of look at how he had been. I I guess I was just influenced by like, oh well, okay, this person's playing the game. Obviously, they're playing the game. <laughs> but yeah, but then I was like, but wait a second, how were they? The number one rule of the game is you don't talk about the game. <laughs> how are they having like a little meeting of how did did he advertise for this? Come talk about rabbits that we're not gonna I'm supposed to talk about. <laughs> well, you're dealing with all these conspiracy theorists. And so they're digging underground. They're digging in the dark web. They're looking around for this stuff. They're going to uncover it. And then they're going to secretly pass it quietly by word of mouth from one to the other, where they're not talking about rabbits. Also, <laughs> it made a lot of sense to me. I mean, there's <laughs> this, it really, there's this huge um, subcultural underground component to the mm -hmm. book and it's in the references. It's in the conspiracy theories. It's just, uh, you know, it's like you're in or you're out. And it, it really reminds me of Gen X folk and mm. Gen X culture. It's such a part of Gen X culture to um, drop these little tidbits in the water, movie quotes, uh, references, and see who picks up on them. Because that's how you know kind of who's in and who's out of your subcultural niche. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> my my boyfriend he was he read some of the beginning of it and there was a reference to a game that Alan Scarpio was playing when he was first talking with Kay and and he was and he got upset because he was like there's no way you could look away from that game it goes so fast they would have he would have died there's no way <laughs> you're, you're talking about Robotron 2084 yeah, the Robot- arcade game yep yeah and I was like I don't know <laughs> So I can see what you're talking about where it's like oh, and, a, and there a was, reference to something that's just like what <laughs> and there were so many game references and not just 80s you, you mentioned 80s references at the beginning but there were game references just throughout especially 70s 80s 90s mm-hmm. all of those arcade games but there were references to Zelda there were references to EverQuest there's a um, there's one part where they go into that the secretary or the stationary the stationary room and there's a VIC-20 oh. in there with a cassette deck, which is like a computer that we had um, built by Commodore. And we had it in, oh, the early 80s in our house. <laughs> I love that thing. It was like you went out of the way to mention every every uh, iteration of computer as well mm-hmm. as every iteration of the game. Because he also mentioned an Apple IIe, which was the first computer that I had. Um, I, I just didn't see anybody die of dysentery during this thing <laughs> i know ah, how rude <laughs> closest was fat man neil who who died in the restroom died in but, the restroom <laughs> but of multiple stab wounds right. not, D- slightly not different. of dysentery just a oh, little different <laughs> poor fat man neil oh gosh yeah. i want i don't i want to know what happened to the cat because there was a cat <laughs> when they when they were first um going to find out where fat man neil was there they noticed a cat in the window and then Famineal, like, I think uh, Chloe goes to jump over the fence and Famineal comes out and is like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Like, but what about the cat? <laughs> like after, after they find him, it's like, hmm, maybe it got Aww. away. It got away. It got away. That's what it saying. must have. It had to. Um, do... After it licked up some of his blood. <laughs> that's right my cats will eat me when i'm dying when i'm dead (laughs) um i for the first few maybe third of the book i had a hard time picturing k k describes everybody in great detail i have no idea if k is a man a woman non-binary so i just figured you know what k is a woman and she's a lesbian (laughs) because They've never just say like, hey, dude, how's it going, man? <laughs> and I was like, Ugh. So the, the gender identity of Kay is really interesting. And I thought about this a lot. I first was reading Kay as a man. And um, then I was talking with a coworker who uh, about the book and he kept referring to Kay as a woman. And I was like, that's so interesting. I'm reading a man. You're reading a woman. Why are you reading this character as a woman? And he said, well, I'm listening to the audiobook and the narrator of the audiobook is female. Mm-hmm. So then I was partway through the book and I kept reading it and I was looking for the gender of the character the whole time and shifting back and forth. And I do think there's one clue in the book, at least that I detected about the gender of the character, but it doesn't really, it doesn't reveal the gender of the character. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where um, Sidney Farrow doesn't recognize Kay. It's like, past that initial hold, they were drunk and met in the arcade 
deal and they know each other and they hang out, but then all of a sudden Sydney Farrow doesn't remember Kay. Mm-hmm. And when they meet up at um, the tower, Sydney Farrow says K, like just the letter K or like K K A Y, which is generally a woman's right, name. Generally a woman's name, right? So at least Sydney Farrow perceived this individual <laughs> as potentially female. Right. But was- I, I do think that not attributing any kind of gender to K is totally deliberate on right. Terry Miles's part because it allows you as the reader to really insert yourself. Mm-hmm. You are K. The book. You yes. You are whoever K, exactly. is reading. You are K. Mm-hmm. There was another clue to what I perceived as a possible gender marker was K was worried about something uh, being chased, being followed, and they put their their keys between their fingers, and that's something that I don't know if men often know about or do when they're worried about being chased by people. <laughs> It's definitely a technique that's been part of women's self-defense classes. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever thought about it. <laughs> I love it. You were Kay, weren't you, Tim? You were like reading that and you were the character. <laughs> My scenarios involving keys and getting away from someone are more like, oh, the crazy murderer is coming. Can I get it into the door quick enough? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. How did you perceive Kay? I, I, I read as, as male, but, um, you know, that could easily be wrong. I mean, people pick up on different things, and I do notice that, they're, that this is something that happens quite a lot in modern fiction, right. is that the main character, primary characters are are left decidedly mm-hmm. ambiguous yeah ambiguous i do think it's a mechanism for for the reader to put themselves in the character's right. shoes i don't think there's a wrong answer i think i think yeah you're right it was le- it's left ambiguous so that we can each kind of try to drop ourselves into this world with k a little bird on their shoulder <laughs> well that's and it's very effective too because mm-hmm. i don't know if y'all had this experience but i found myself looking for serendipities and coincidence and all these things it, it really the the book really got into my brain while I was reading it and, and I found it kind of scary a little bit too this the idea of this nebulous unknown thing that may or may not start killing people off and especially when we lost Baron Corduroy I was a little bit freaked out right, <laughs> I didn't know where yeah. this book was going at that point if it was going to take a dark turn if we were going to lose more people if people were going to get hurt was scary yeah that scary. was I did not expect that I was like oh whoa <laughs> just I thought he was gonna all right <laughs> yeah, yeah that we was... lost the magician and we lost mm-hmm. Batman Neil but then at the end the magician wasn't dead but the corduroy right. still was dead it was very sinister yeah <laughs> yes. and what I a wonder... great what a great character name Baron Cor- Corduroy yeah. you know oh yes Fantastic. do you think when he walked around he was going <laughs> I think <laughs> I think all of the names are really great. I mean, Alan Scarpio, um, that Swan character. That's what, that's who she was. She was Swan. Swan uh, and the yeah. twins. The, the suicide twins. Uh, and Chloe. Well, Chloe never had a last name. She didn't. She was just Chloe. No, she was just Chloe. And Swan faced off against a character named Crow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I didn't right. Really. Okay, yeah. (laughs) 
there there are a lot of interesting uh, things. And I like that Batman Neil. I know one of you at least remarked that you like the chapter names. I, I like Batman Neil came from the chapter known as is that an effing crossbow? <laughs> oh yes yes i love the chapter names uh, I, now i'm pressed to go find one of my favorites i'll get back to you here while i'm flipping <laughs> there was also an a-hole in the in the journey shirt which which i remarked on too i really liked uh also there's a steely dan song with with two different names but the same music running oh, underneath yeah 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 and i looked that up and they actually both songs exist and oh really yeah, it's the same same music. <laughs> totally different lyrics set to the same music. I I had to go look up the troll under the the Fremont Bridge, the Fremont Troll cuz I was like, I, what? Let me go see. That there's like a lot of times where I'm just I have to check. I need to check and see because this book brings something up I'm like, well, let me go make sure that it's <laughs> So so was it holding a Volkswagen Beetle? It's holding a Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, good, okay, good. <laughs> what universe am I in? Oh my God. <laughs> you were in the universe where you slugged your boyfriend and said, red slug bug on you. <laughs> the The concept of the multiverse does play play a big part in this too. It, yeah, like, especially towards the end when they start talking about slipping between universes. Um, yeah. The multiverse was brought up just so much more towards the end of the book <laughs> and that's part k seems to be able to to slip between them and to enter different versions of himself mm-hmm. uh, it's like there's one core consciousness that they all share mm-hmm. and he's able to go between them and and so that's why he has little i don't know what you call them idiosyncrasies or you know, he remembers the third Richard Linklater movie in one of these dimensions that nobody else remembers, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the, the before before midnight. And then he, of course, the Steely Dan reference follows oh. that same. Oh, and David Bowie. And David Bowie was still alive mm-hmm. in, in one of those iterations uh, or one of those universes and still turning out tunes the multiverse is is a big deal um do you guys believe in multiple universes i don't know i i sometimes will offhandedly if i'm like almost get hit by a car or something i go oof and another universe i just got hit by a car (laughs) it's something that i kind of think about we oddly morbidly (laughs) i don't know if i think about it as an actual thing I think it's completely unknowable whether or not there are multiverses, but it's fun to think about. And it's, it's a, it's a fun device in fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's right up there with uh, Richard's burrito theory of time travel. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not getting the reference here. (laughs) I've stumped you both. Okay. From Peggy Sue got married. Oh, then she had to go and and find the smartest kid in school to and convince him that she had gone back in time and he came up with this 
theory of how it happened. They called it Richard's Burrito theory of time travel <laughs> because the tortilla folds over on itself. I see. <laughs> and the tortilla is time. And, okay. Oh my gosh, I love that. I, I've seen the beginning of it and then I get upset because I, I guess are nervous. I get. I think I get, um, what is it when you get uh, embarrassment for a, a character and you just can't, I can't, I can't deal with it, with it. So I like, cause she's, herself but as a teenager but she's not a teenager but she's like in all of these situations i go nope then i change it it's too embarrassing <laughs> well it's it's like what if i could it's the age-old question and if only i could go back then mm-hmm. but oh yeah everything i know now yeah yeah but you don't but you don't ever picture yourself as an adult <laughs> sitting in a high school seat <laughs> that's that's where i get oh no it's too embarrassing change it <laughs> but then you get the the things with like butterfly effect too mm-hmm. you know? oh yeah like yeah yeah any any little change can supposedly have big consequences and we see that like mm-hmm. in 11 63 when he goes back to stop the kennedy assassination and, he kind of, and when once he successfully does that and comes back to the future everything is messed up like right far, far beyond even what it is right now <laughs> there's uh, even that uh that recent movie the adam project on netflix i believe and um it has ryan reynolds and his dad creates some sort of machine that affects time travel in the future and so he comes back because the future gets messed up <laughs> it's like so yeah yeah it's like one of those so those things where it, you're saying with a butterfly effect and and changing time and messing things up and trying to get things fixed and uh, but also, it's, a, it's a great thing to talk about or great right, father or, for, for story development oh and also back to the future obviously <laughs> That's where most of my experience with time travel comes from. Repeatedly watching Back to the Future as a child. Yeah. yeah. I saw um, the other day that we got a uh, a comic book mashup of Back to the Future and Transformers, where Optimus Prime had the flux capacitor. And his- oh, awesome! <laughs> I would totally read that. <laughs> that sounds so cool. Uh, what was your? What, did you find a chapter title that you liked? There are a couple that I really like. Um, I like, so it's futile and potentially deadly. What the hell else you got going on right now? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> also, we have a little fucked up something to deal with here. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, rowing all the boats. <laughs> I just love that one, rowing all the boats. What are you doing right now? We're rowing all the boats, all the boats. <laughs> Get all your oars in the water, people. <laughs> overall impressions well i hmm i I don't i don't know (laughs) i just i have a i had a hard time letting go of all the references so that i could find the story and just write it i also don't know how i feel about him picking chloe over emily connor's even though they were married They were not married. That was a figment. That was one of those Uh, breaks with reality, a discrepancy. (laughs) I didn't think that they were really married. I don't know. All I know is like, what is happening? (laughs) Besides, he made out with Annie, not Emily. Emily was the unattainable older sister. (laughs) But he he might have actually attained her. (laughs) 
in a different universe. And it- that was all a construct oh, of a God. Byzantine game <laughs> engine with a super hyper uh, virtual reality going on. I'm worried about quantum computers now. <laughs> you should be. Yeah. And um, so I think this book makes me worry about my future. <laughs> I got to say, I loved it. I really <laughs> loved it. I thought this book was fantastic. I, I loved going down the rabbit trails. I love the way it freaked me out and then brought me out of it. I, I loved all the references, all the gaming references that, and they went through time, the mind games, the way it, the way it messed with your reality a little bit. I just, it was fantastic, fantastic piece of art, fantastically written. It was, it was a good ride. Yeah. Yeah. I I will admit. Yeah. It was a good ride. I like that. They never forget. He never forgets to include sleeping and eating as things that characters do. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. So much eating. Showering. Yes, I, you know, I can't appreciate that because they're told me so many times I'm reading a book like, are you going to eat? You said you were going to eat. Why didn't you eat? You guys haven't showered in days. Y'all smell gross. <laughs> so, so I do I, appreciate that. <laughs> I thought about that and wondered about that quite a bit because there was so much eating involved and sleeping and showering and all those things. And I thought those were probably very crucial in terms of time markers to pass time in the book because if they yeah. just went from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing you have zero concept of how much time was passing you're right you're right yeah but that's something that's always bothered me is like when there's no references to to eating or 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 things like that it's like come on so so that made it more real to me even though we're dealing with a lot of unreality here um what was your favorite thing about it why don't you start? I'll think about it. A little bit. What's your favorite thing? <laughs> I like the the uncertainty of it. Was it was it real or was it was it not? I think that gives the best fodder for discussion. At the end, clearly, you know, we don't follow Kay any further beyond his French toast breakfast with Alan Scarpio. I think that's my my favorite aspect of it is that you know it may be something that I'll go back and read again to see if I can piece together whether or not it's reality or not. I think for me I liked how even though at the beginning it was annoying where I couldn't figure out what who K what who K is I kind of was like, you know what, I like, I'm going to make this character who I, in my head, want them to be. And so <laughs> I liked that aspect where I could just kind of slip something into a slot that's normally, I don't know, a boy or something. It's <laughs> like, oh, I want this person to be a lesbian. <laughs> and after that, I was just like, I just liked, I liked all the, the adventures that they had together with Chloe. It was, um, I think that might be my favorite, even though at the beginning I was annoyed by it. I was like, who is this person? <laughs> and now I was like, what's up? I, I do think I like that the most. And yeah. I really loved all the characters. I loved the way that the author described the characters. They, there were tons of them, but they all had a great amount of detail. So it wasn't confusing at all. Baron Corduroy, Chloe, Ellen Scarpio, the magician, fat man, they just, they were all, they were all individual and recognizable and they all had their own quirks and traits. And mm-hmm. I, I just love that. It's, that for me makes it very real, very realistic. Yeah. The character building w- mm-hmm. was, was superb. I feel like um, there was also some of the descriptions 
I, I was able to picture everything that they were describing. Even that dream that Kay had where the world ended and everybody was floating up into the sky. I was like, that is insanely terrifying. And I feel like I've had a dream something like that <laughs> before. Um, so that was, that was really uh, fantastic to read. And he caught hold of the tower. I liked the scene where he was going to war games to, to meet Sidney Farrow, you know, where Sidney Farrow didn't recognize him. And he stopped at that one uh, four-way intersection. And there were people walking Dalmatians at each corner. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was awesome. a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. That would creep <laughs> me out. I, and I, I did the character that he, he um, let, leaned over to pet that dog. That person, I think, also recognized that there were Dalmatians on each corner, too. So I think... And I was like, oh, they, what are they called? NPCs, the non-player? <laughs> yes, <laughs> They NPCs. seem to have awareness <laughs> at times too. So that was really good. <laughs> so you also have some interaction with supposedly fam famous players here. So uh, Murmur, it turns out, who is supposedly very ruthless and, and cunning, runs a self-help group for former Rabbits players. Uh, while actively playing rabbits and uses them to help her solve clues. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> and then and, you have Hazel, who shows mm -hmm. up with a van just in time to save Kay from being uh, killed Maybe. by other oncoming vehicles. <laughs> the potential Hazel. <laughs> it, is it really Hazel? We have no reason to believe it's not Hazel. But we also have no real confirmation that it right, is. Right, right. <laughs> uh, the same thing with no wait did murmur confer confirm who they were they did they did okay yeah when they, they were in the alley they tracked him to the dumpster yeah okay yeah he he asked are you murmur and they they nodded i at least that's how i read it did you read it the same <laughs> way Alyssa? oh yes yes easton okay. peruth is murmur okay yeah. yeah she was sly i liked her character a lot yeah too. she was a good character she she put tracking tracking things yes. all over them in yes. their shoes. Yeah, I would like to know Murmur's story. <laughs> maybe maybe when Murmur wins the game, we'll get Murmur's story in whichever future iteration of the game we have. She's it looks like she's been playing a while. She played in ninth, tenth, and this is the eleventh in this book. Okay, <laughs> ruthlessly almost killing her spouse. Right. Maybe. We don't know. I wonder. According to, <laughs> according to Rabbit's Rumor. Oh, Rabbit's yeah. Rumor about Murmur. <laughs> Say that five times. We do have to admit that the rules are false because you, you play, you never tell. No, everybody's telling. Everybody's telling everybody everything. And then um, you'll only see the wardens once. Well, he runs into the wardens again and again and mm -hmm. again. In fact, they're actively looking for him quite a bit. Yeah. I thought that they were players for the longest time. I assumed that Swan and the twins were playing and he was competing with them oh. until yeah. the end and they blow away Crow. I thought they were working for Alan Scarpio <laughs> and they were like bodyguards and like, where's Alan? <laughs> oh, yes. That seemed like a distinct possibility at first. <laughs> Crow seemed to know Swan. Yeah. It, well, he said, what are you doing here? Well, maybe if 
Swan is was an actual warden, maybe he's come across her before as like you know her trying to stop him from doing what he's doing because he's he messes up the game by trying to save his daughter who slipped out of existence maybe <laughs> so he's he's toying with the actual game to try to bring her back so i and think that, maybe the wardens were trying to get him to stop so i guess maybe they had tried to convince him previously and then he locked himself up in the tower yeah probably and they couldn't get to him i but I don't know, like, how were they able to get to him at that point? Really, how was maybe, Kay able? To... Yeah, maybe they've tracked, followed. Oh, Kay. they followed. They followed him, right? Yeah, they followed him to the uh, to the parking garage that was like the alternate reality portal to the mm-hmm. to the tower or mm-hmm. the storage place. It was storage. Yeah, with the moonrise symbol on it. Right, the <laughs> the gateway uh, symbol. The gate, yeah, the symbol from the Gatewick Institute, which we haven't even got into. The Gatewick oh, sauce. I know. There's so many things in this so, book. Yeah, there is a lot to dive into. <laughs> so join us next time for our discussion of the Gatewick Institute. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you recommend the book to? Definitely somebody who's read uh, The Da Vinci Code <laughs> and is looking for something exciting and hip i don't know (laughs) so generation xers who like the da vinci code sure yeah (laughs) i think it's just for anybody who likes twisty stories yeah yeah that'll work too (laughs) it's got lots of twists it's not predictable Mm -hmm. it's super well written lots of pop culture references i i think uh if if you like conspiracy theories too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it would be a, an interesting one uh, to read. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or the other episodes we've done, please indicate your enjoyment by rating or clicking the heart button uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can view our book list reviews and suggested reads on our Goodreads page. Just go to groups and search for Sapple Escape the Earth. You can write us with stories, suggestions, random thoughts, and interesting sci-fi geek culture stuff at sappleescapetheearth at gmail.com. All smushed together like one word. Join us next month for our discussion of Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. And I believe we also are going to be doing live recording. We'll do some sci-fi trivia and that will be at the San Antonio Public Library's Pop Madness Festival, which will be on May 28th at the IGO Library. Anything else? Nope, that's it. Come out and see us. Pop uh, Madness, May 28th. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Escape the Escape the